Greetings, friends! Welcome back to another just sweaty, meaty episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. The show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. Sex magic, blood sex sugar magic. Just keep going. Don't stop. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and partially formed red guy. That's me, Alex Dandino. All right, before today, this is just, I mean, this is an epic night for the before pod. Before we get, we'll into, get the into the sweatiest one we've done so far. Just the fucking sweatiest, juiciest, meatiest just movie of all time. so liquidy. Speaking of just liquid meats, guys, it's official. We're on Patreon. That's right, <laughs> patreon.com slash pod. The very double feature you're about to hear program today came from one of our fine patrons, our friend Jason, over on Patreon. You guys can join the club and have this power over us as well. You summon the Patreon box and we'll appear in our tightest little leather outfits, clacking our teeth while I'll bring the chains or ratchet straps, whatever you want, guys. So that's patreon.com slash pod. You can get in for as little as a dollar a month, meet our community, check it out. As you climb the official Highlander tier ranking system, you yourself have the power to select a double feature, vote on movies, um, Patreon exclusives every month. You have the ability to hear some of the mini features we're working on, all kinds of cool stuff. We're working very hard to make sure our Patreon is the most value for your dollar. Uh, so again, guys, that's patreon.com slash pod. Uh, for those of you who support us already, sincerely from the bottom of my heart, it's been an exceptionally awesome month, uh, birthday month for me, uh, just gift that keeps on giving this pod, um, and thank you guys for that. For those of you who are about to join us, thank you as well. Welcome, we have such sights to show you. Uh, make sure you go to YouTube if you want to make sure, uh, what hot outfits we're wearing and all that kind of good greasy stuff. Uh, the channel is Phil Malcolmist. Subscribe there. You can email the show, philmalcolmistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the social media you're on. We're there, too. We're easy to get a hold of. Love to hear from you. Uh, something free and easy you can do so that we put the chains and whips and straps away. Leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you find the pod. Everywhere you find the pod. All at once. Everywhere all at once, sexually speaking. Uh, that helps us defeat the algorithmic centibits. Centibrits that are coming to get us. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I'm so full of hey, hey, sugar hey. Well, sex I think magic. We're really, really overselling this. This is a nice film about friends traversing the universe, just looking for all kinds of pleasures. It's all good. Was this the first video on the stepmom tab on the hub? No, just kidding. <laughs> is this the prequel to the movie Road Trip by Todd Phillips? That's the question we'll be answering tonight. That might be the most <laughs> offensive thing anyone's ever said about Hellraiser. Uh, so, again, guys, I mentioned before, tonight's double feature was programmed by one of our uh, our friends over on Patreon. Jason decided, um, he heard me talking earlier in the month, right, about how sometimes when we pod, it's really scary to tackle your favorite movies of all time, right? For fear that you will not be able to properly convey to the audience how much you truly love these movies. Right, right. So as, as a gift to yours truly, Jason said, hey, man, go for it. Why don't you do it? Do Hellraiser and Highlander. And I said, all right, game on, man. If that's what you patrons want, uh, you patrons specifically, Jason's not many people. He's one. He's one nice guy. Uh, so Jason laid down the gauntlet, the gift as it were, and uh, we took it. We took the challenge. So tonight... We will be talking about two of my favorite films of all time. No matter what ranking you gave me, these two films would always be in my top three, five, whatever. Uh, favorite movies ever. The double feature, the wobbly H double feature, Hellraiser, and Highlander. Uh, Highlander, of course, being my favorite movie of all time by Miles. We are starting tonight with Hellraiser. I... I'm afraid I will never be able to tell you guys how much I love this movie, how deeply it means uh, everything to me, how this is a foundational horror movie love of my life, right? This set the tone. This is the movie I'm always hoping to find when I see new horror movies are coming out. This was the VHS box in the video store 
that the moment I saw it, right, just pinheads and chains in that puzzle box, you're like, whatever the fuck that is, I want in. My little brain and body didn't even know what the pleasures of the sensual flesh were yet, but I knew I wanted whatever this movie is. And when I finally was able to see it, it felt like true dark magic captured on film. And I, I absolutely fell in love with it. Alex, kick us off, man. Hellraiser. Never wanted to watch this movie. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> we were very different little boys. Yeah. Uh, Always saw it at the video store. Never really interest me. Not an engaged thing. Always curious about the puzzle box, but not enough to actually pick up the deep. The not box. the sexy stuff, yeah. Um, saw it much older. Not long before I met you, Griff, did I watch this film and rapidly forgot about it, and then watched it again, and was way oh, more it's interested. Like that. Okay, way more interested in it for some reason. My mid twenties, and then yeah. as you were we finally started having sex and. <laughs> <laughs> more like more like I actually started finding things I thought were interesting about it. And then as I got older, more entertaining, more entertaining. And this time I now I'm finally past the point with the my my pursuit of pleasures where quite frankly I think it's really funny and very entertaining. Like uh there's a level yeah. of this movie that okay. makes like that is just like so absurd that I'm like that's just really entertaining to me. That what is, like, is happening? I feel like I'm in a drive-by right now. What no, is happening? No, not at all. I really enjoyed watching Hellraiser for this. Like, I really enjoyed watching the movie this time. Yeah. And it's not because I think it's not some fucking laugh-out-loud comedy. There's just parts <laughs> of it that are, like, there's so okay. much, like, you see, we talk about this a lot with movies that are, like, of this elk from this era, and it's weird to say it because it is Hellraiser. And if, like, you know what we're talking about, then this is going to sound very uncomfortable. It's the passion you see in it and, like, the real, like, intensity of, like, like the love of the work you're doing. Like, Clive Barker, like, wrote the hell out of this novella. And he hated so much of what had been done with his work already. It's like, I'm directing this one. So he took the Hellbound Heart. And he made Hellraiser, and you can tell that he's like, like, this is where, like, we're like, shit, dude, Clive Barker is fucking here to stay, right? Yeah. Like, we're like, damn, dude, that is a way to fucking show up. You know what I mean? Like, that's a directorial debut, if there ever was one. But not even that. I think it just announced him in a way, because I just think he's the forgotten most influential guy in modern horror. Oh, Because it's really easy to look back at Stephen King and, you know, all these other great directors and you know, people who were crafting the modern horror. I think the aesthetic and the vibe of Clive Barker is truly lost. When you read Clive Barker's books, or I've read a lot of Stephen King. Yeah. Very rarely do they actually, like, rattle me, right? I enjoy his, you know, kind of interpersonal tales mm -hmm. about people. Really good ideas, right? But they're they're just little tales to me, right? When I read Clive Barker, I'm, like, sweating, yeah. It feels unsafe. And again, this is what Highlander tapped into to me. And it's what I get back to. I, I had this discussion with a buddy of mine about music, right? And I just, they got really mad at me. It was a really dickhead thing to say. But I was just you? like, you know, I mean, come on. We were having a couple drinks and they, we were talking about bands. And every time he's go. like, do you like this band? I went, eh. And he, he's like, well, what's, why not? And I go, well, you just seem to have a taste for forgettable music. And I, I just told him, I was like, when I listen to music and go to concerts, I like this idea that you are connecting with some universe beyond, right? That there's some kind of power and magic in what's happening. And I think music is uniquely capable of that. Very experience. much so. Music is a very subjective and I, I like that when you feel it in your soul, like you might crack open and some, you know, mysterious beast might crawl for neither here nor there right and that's not just a metalhead guy thing i think you can find that in all kinds of genres of music totally right? absolutely i feel that way listening to beatles sometimes neither here nor there i think clive barker taps into this in such a way where he always felt truly unsafe to me where yeah. i was i was afraid of what every time i turned the page or watched hellraiser i was afraid of what i was going to see next and i grew up you know small town indiana trying on and off to kind of be religious, right? Really conservative area. So the idea, I mean, the first time I saw Hellraiser, man, this could have been alien to me. Yeah. Like the idea of this, right? Just like Frank's fuck shack and 
the chains and the whips and the fucking mutating body. I mean, everything in this movie melted my fucking brain. But what you notice today when you watch it, the the attention to the meat and the flesh and the Mm -hmm. sweat and the blood and the cum in the way that this is all intermixed with anger and depression and rage. Yeah. It's so melt like in a way like this movie's the reverse Frank, right? It boils the human experience down into this fucking disgusting hot dog glue. And what it hands back to us hey, is this hey, tasty don't dark bag delight. On hot dogs, all right? Hot dogs hey, are delicious. Hey, you find me someone who's eating more hot dogs than me and I'll shake their goddamn hand. I am a goddamn hot dog apocalypse on wheels, my friend. First off, how dare you? Me and 13-year-old Prince Fielder for those of you who are Milwaukee Brewers fans. Yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> I think this is this is why I think watching it this is why it did something for me when I got older. Because like watching it younger it wasn't that it didn't make sense is that like I was young enough where I was still sort of steeped in the like my parents took me to church. So, I was watching something that felt wrong and I <laughs> yeah. didn't know how I felt about that. Like there I did like that was I uh. think the beginning of it. So I'll tell you this specific, what you said is a great point. I remember watching this and the next time I was in church and I didn't like burst into flames. I remember looking around like, I know something you don't. Yeah. Right. So, but I remember, (laughs) I remember watching it and like, yeah, like there is that, like when you're younger and your parents, like, look, my parents aren't religious fanatics, like some people in the world now. Um, or have been. That's right. Sadly, sadly a little bit more than politics, Um, politics. Um, that's what everyone wants. More my parents that. were like religious fanatics. They just wanted me to be a nice person and not be a yep. dick bag. And I understand. I think that's that. just called being a decent human, right? Yeah. I think so they, the they were like, hey, yeah. let's go to church. Like, you can yeah. hear some stories let's about Let's have people. a code of ethics that we don't yeah. cram down other people's throats and treat others less than right. because my they parents were always very good about you're going to go to church, but if you bring it up to other people, like your parents are angels to asshole. some, <laughs> demons to others. That's fine. But my folks, you know, like. Yeah, they were not like saying like, "Hey, let's watch Hellraiser." But if I watched Hellraiser and saw it, well, they had to put you to bed, and then they got out the chains and the that VHS. Young, that young mind processed it and like, "Oh, this is something I should not be watching." Like, this is not yeah. like, this isn't processing the way I'm supposed to. Like now that I'm older, it, yeah, and thinking more about it and like understanding what the movie is, like particularly when it comes to the Cenobites. Because look, man, I'm not like I've never been shy about like when I was a kid. Shit scared me. I was not immune to, like, getting the shit scared out of me. Mm-hmm. The Cenobites scared the fucking shit out of me when I was a kid. But as I've oh, gotten yeah. older and as I've understood what the movie Hellraiser actually is about, which is what we were just saying, when you boil it down, there is this element to, yeah, like, the angels to some, demons to others thing is a really important thing that I think I latched onto in my mid-20s with the Cenobites. Mm-hmm. And realizing, like, what this is is just... This whole movie is just about sweaty, sticky pleasures. And that's like yeah. that's like the point. Well, I, I think to me as you get older, right? Because this, again, I, I've always, it was steep to me early in. It was the one, like I remember there are a couple, right? Like you get this or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Hills Have Eyes. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of these movies that you heard like, dude, if you find that and you watch that, you're going to see some shit. Right. And very few of them ever lived up to that billing, right? Yeah. Where you're like watching them alone because you know you're not supposed to. You're just like, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, I've done it now, man. I opened the door. I can't close it again. And so that's how I remember it, right? These fuck, this tale of monsters, right? right? And one of the things I love that we'll talk about later is the way the monsters exist in the same place as we do. Like Beetlejuice, right? Our walls just become doors where they can walk in. Right. And that was fucking scary to me, right? You see these you know, creatures with their fucking monoliths covered in flesh and face or whatever. That's that's easy to understand the fear. Mm-hmm. As you get older, I think, and this is kind of the problem. I don't know if we should spoil anything here, but as really you dive into the... No, but as you dive into the Hellraiser series on oh. mass, well, <laughs> it's been a very mixed journey, right? Um, let's just say a lot of valleys, not as many hills, right? We'll put it that way. Right. And what you realize as you get back into them more is because they really didn't. I feel like most of those movies didn't really appreciate the genius of this one, which is Julia is one of the great characters in a horror movie ever. 
yeah. a fully relatable monster that you quasi understand, right? This movie is about a human being who, like the puzzle box, is worried that no one will ever be able to open them and find all of the great stuff inside. And because she just feels unseen and this mouse, mousy little creature, when she meets this person who is clearly bad for her and dangerous, the length she's willing to go to give up pieces of herself to feel that, to feel open and exposed and feel danger, right? The scenes with her and Frank are very fucking intense. Yeah. And the... That that subtle thing that I think many of us feel deep down inside, especially as you get older, right? You're just afraid, like, fuck, like, am I doing it for my partner anymore? Mm -hmm. Am I still attractive? Do they still see me? Are we just used to each other? Um, have we lost the love, right? You feel this isolation a lot as you get older. Right. And watching Julia's mutate into this, and just this collision course with this fucking living hard on that is uncle frank that is what makes hellraiser julia is the great monster of this film right because frank and the cenobites are what they are she is the person who you feel sad to see her go on the journey you feel the stakes of watching her become more like frank right, right. and that is what makes this one so good Pinhead and the Cenobites are used very sparingly in this film, right? They became the poster and the icon. Oh, but I mean, that's Julia what sells... is the fucking very rock right. of this movie. The Cenobites is what gets asses in the seats. The movie right. is about... Right, that VHS cover is what fucking yeah. draws you in, for sure. That... But this movie is absolutely about a woman who will go to absurd lengths to get that dick. I mean... Honestly, I don't think it's that absurd, man. It's something that I didn't fully understand as a much younger man. I'm pretty sure it's absurd. I think the movie offers plenty of evidence that neither of these brothers are ideal partners. I'm not saying that they. it doesn't. I'm this saying is a that woman who feels alone and unseen, so she dumps a couple of leches in an attic... So that she might find true love. Next that week on Hallmark. A, that Boom. is a read on the situation. <laughs> and let's 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 analyze that. Well, let's let's dive into <laughs> Julia more, man. Cause honestly, I was I rewatching it today, right? I've watched this movie a fuckload. Right. But sometimes when you're watching it for this pod and you're doing your notes and whatever, you, you hone in on little details that you might have missed. And you're more casual watching, especially a movie you've seen so much, you you might not pay attention as much. Like, I know this shit. I was really taken aback today that there, there were so many more moments where Julia was showing pause and remorse for the journey she was on. In my mind, I've always seen this as after the first moment when she comes back in the middle of the night, right? And she's like, oh, he goes, you'll do it. I'll do it. Excellent. Whatever he says, right, Uncle Frank? I thought she was just like a Terminator after that, like a remorseless killing machine. That's how I imagine it in my mind. Right. That's not the fucking movie at all. Julia, you see her struggle with this still throughout, right? Because mm -hmm. the first kill even I was really struck by the scene. It was really well acted, right? So she brings this traveling fucking, you know, bald guy back and he's kind of coming up on her, right? And she's, almost hesitating right like uh, uh, rebuffing his advances right this is not the master predator luring its prey into a trap until he goes you're not gonna fucking back out now man are you bitch and he starts like giving her the tough talk and you see that switch in her mind where she goes all right you fucking also think i'm a less than you also think i'm this chicken shit person let's go up to my fuck attic and find out right and you see in that moment there's still hesitation, right? She hits him and she has that rage on her face. That dude with the, the, the effects in this movie are obviously wonderful, yes. but the carnage of that first hammer attack mm -hmm. is fucking brutal. But then I, you know, she runs to the bathroom. She's really fucking struggling with this. So walk me through Julia as the not terminator, right? Like even when she comes back and th this is a scene I love when Frank's like, you know, come over here, I want to touch you and she's like, "No." Frank has to go to her. Mm -hmm. This is not just 
her becoming his, you know, loving Renfield. She's still fucking scared and horrified because she knows what she's on the path to. It's interesting that you would think of Julia that way the first time because I'm not sure I ever thought of her as like a Terminator. Like I think I was a kid, and when you're young, if you hit someone in the face with a hammer and feed him to a muscle guy, like I not think great. that's yeah. <laughs> I was like, my mom wouldn't like that. Um, yeah, I mean, watching it this time particularly, I think what's interesting about it is she is like. This is the hard thing, like to me, because yeah, I swear to God, after every single time, she's like horrified by what she's done. Like every single one of those kills makes her miserable. There's there's like, the one shot. It was her second or third one, right, where she pretty much hits the guy, and then she's lounging on the white couch, like she poured her own drink this time. She's not afraid. Yeah. She, but see, that's and I think that's another part of this. That's another part of this whole thing that changes as you get older and understand more about the movie but more about life is that like there are no like the black and whiteness when you're a kid of like oh that's very bad versus when you're older and you're like well there is another way of looking at this i'm not saying murder is like a totally cool thing to do sometimes like it's not but (laughs) never uh, not sometimes like pretty much never never is it okay to murder someone you are going to get murdered if you don't murder that's that's about it (laughs) self-defense is like pretty much the only part of that that works like yeah, it's the only part. So, like, or if someone talks in a movie theater, those are literally those the, are the only two. Only t- two instances That's in which murder it. is completely all. The on rest the table. of the scenarios we should be able to discuss is civilized people. So, I think what's interesting watching it this time, particularly, is like she's starting to, and I don't know if you ever read this, but like to me, she's almost manif- like without a puzzle box, even almost manifesting the mentality of this other dimension. Where yeah. they've gone beyond the pleasures and they can't tell the difference between pain and pleasure anymore. Like she's already on her way there to being that person. So really what right. it is is the manifestation of what is this, the manifestation of what was always inside what was always sought after. It was always there was always in right. search of. So to me, what's interesting is <laughs> especially on this viewing, is again, like we said penhead gets your ass on the seats but like it's really about this woman who's like kind of slowly deteriorating as a human Mm -hmm. being and becoming this like this just like dead-faced this dead-faced person that knows no difference between pain and pleasure because like they become so intertwined by the end of the movie for her that it doesn't even matter yeah and i again i i think that's pretty fucking (laughs) relatable relatable man um I think there is this this problem that adults have, right? Where I think so often so many of us just feel totally hollowed out. We feel nothing. We're very apathetic. We wake up and go through the same shit every yeah. day. Sometimes that that border between pleasure and pain, you're like, I just want to feel something, right? Have you ever had right. like a an injury in your mouth and you just can't stop fucking yeah, it's the, rubbing it's your the, tongue? You can't fucking it's help the it. It's the scratch right? on the top of your mouth. You can't yeah. stop tonguing it. Yeah, it, And you're like... Okay, and I I think that's what it is. So Julia, as as portrayed by Claire Higgins, right? One of my favorite horror movie characters. I think watching this journey is really fascinating to me. The first time we find out about her and Frank, right? As we start to unveil this, they intercut her affair, right? This sweaty Mm -hmm. fucking affair, right? Like it just so much sweat. sweat and all this, right? With her husband's hand getting fucking Larry's hand gets ripped open by a nail mm-hmm. and they intercut between the two, right? They do this a lot in the movie, right? They intercut between her orgasmic scream, right? Frank's release with Larry's fucking blood being drawn, right? So there is this right. constant mingling of pleasure and pain, uh, you know, losing blood and dying, losing blood and living, you know, life giving semen and wasted seed, right? Like there are these constant, juxtapositions even larry walking up reaching out to julia for help is what fucking gives birth to frank again yeah right his moment of weakness literally gives birth to this fucking monster that will destroy his life um in just a moment even where that's another fear that adults have right like he's not enough now he's less than he can't do it all he's not the rock of the world um i think you can make a pretty good case that larry is a 
pretty big douche in this movie. Um, you don't feel tremendously bad, and you're like, yeah, most people would probably choose Uncle Frank. I mean, we've all got like the red flag regret regrettable relationships. It was more fun. Yeah, I mean, I would say like douche. I'm not like doof is closer. Like he's just a big fucking when dumbass. he when Julia's like, hey man, we just moved into this stinky fuck shack that's full of rotten food and cockroaches. You've been bleeding all over the floor. Uh, the water's spraying your daughter around. She's coming in fucking waving her hatred for me in my face. Right. Uh, maybe let's pack it in at midnight. And he goes, this is the paper hat club. We're celebrating. And just doesn't care that she's not a part of it. Once his doofy yeah. friend's there, Big that's entertainer. a douche. That's Very a fucking weird. douche move. I agree. Not only that. Okay, so here's the subtle thing I forgot happened in this. Is when whoever the fuck invited um, Wish.com Steve Gutenberg to the party. Yep, yep. I know exactly and, who you're uh, talking about. She says, stop giving me drinks. I won't be able to walk. He goes, maybe lay down. And dad just goes, oh, like gives her like nice line. Like, I'm going to try that. I'm like, dude, that guy's trying to yeah. dick down your daughter by getting her overly yeah. intoxicated. That was a really one. That was one of those things where <laughs> I was just like, you know, guy, you, yeah. you could parent a little here. Like, yeah, maybe this might be a moment to be like, hey, fucking hey. wish.com. Uh, hey, Goots, it's still back Gutenberg. up. That's the closest analogy. Get the food like, out. Do you want to get fucking rocked, dude? Yeah. I'm going to fucking drown you in the blood from my hand wounds. I'm going to take not a great you fighter. upstairs and drown you in that blood. <laughs> I'm going to take you upstairs so Uncle Frank can have a face sit with you. Is that what you want? Back up off. By Kirstie. the way, can we sorry? I know that we don't really do this, but. I will say the like so the the scene where the blood falls on the falls on the floor oh. the reconstitution of Frank just the just first top just 10 the first favorite one. moments in any movie of my life is it possible for there to be any cooler moment in a movie like it's it's legitimately one of the cool like this is 1987 it legitimately feels so fucking real it's kind of this beautiful puppet claymation thing. It's, it makes CGI look like shit, honestly. Like, it's it's so cool. Yeah, I'm I mean, I'm, I'm, we're probably just old, so that's our vibe. But, like, I just, I like the texture. Especially in a movie like this, you need that fucking texture, You need right? that stickiness. You that's need to feel sure. the goop. And when he kind of emerges, oh, that was so, that's, that part's oh, so Oh, my God. But I'll, I'll say this, right? So we talked a lot about Julia. There is one more thing we got to get to with Julia, but uh, Uncle Frank is just fucking rad. And not not early Uncle Frank, right? <laughs> Where he's kind of doing like a, a fucking wish.com Billy Zane thing, right? Like not that Uncle Frank. Yeah. Um, Uncle Frank, who has been torn apart and reconstituting himself, right? Yeah. Just the, the makeup of that today. I was just watching. I was like, God, it's of just course amazing. this is one of my favorite movies. It's incredible. Because when he's kind of like mostly cartilage and he's just like greasy, he looks like he's covered in Cinnabon yeah. frosting yeah, yeah, yeah. and shit. Absolutely. And he's exactly still trying to talk to her and touch her and that slipping his fingers in the body to pull yeah. all the viscera and grossness out. Um, One thing I thought, too, like just every scene, right? Like when they're downstairs watching boxing and he's like crouched above them in silhouette. The yeah. fact that he's, you know, smoke. I can taste this now. I can taste this now. Uh, but the the thing that fucked me up today was when he started wanting to wear suits, just blood soaked suits. I'm like, that's just a fucking awesome a, choice. I, I was actually and it like, is a brave choice to say, you know what I want to do? Cover up all the prosthetics. I'm sure the actor was like, please, God, give me a suit. And like, I actually six felt bad. Well, I, I was, it was that there's like the practical thing. And the other part, Sean like, Chapman is the actor. Do you think Julia? had to do the laundry do you think like he would like bloody as he's like go do the laundry give me a clean suit yeah larry's just like god damn it's suit tuesday what's up man because <laughs> those guys were doing a lot frank, of dry cleaning frank right now. builds yeah oh my god no um i just just watching frank move through the scenes it's so fucking powerful. he also has some of the harshest cheekbones i think i've ever seen in film well, because there's no fucking cheek fat like us. We got cheek fat and cheek skin. No, no, I mean got... like when he's normal Frank, too. Oh, right? yeah, normal Frank. That's how he gets away with the mullet, He looks man. like that guy who plays uh, Brendan Filoni in The Sopranos. Like, just like... Uh, I was going to say he looks like one of the Lost Boys who, like, grew up and had to get a warehouse job. And he's like, yeah. 
damn. Also that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it just has that vibe. But he just has so many lines I fucking love. Like, that that moment when he kind of descends upon Kirsty the first time, right? Oh, uh, yeah. When, oh, my God, that moment when the, the fucking guy runs out, and he's, like, half-drained, and Frank's like, <gasps> Yeah, and she runs in the room, and he's just like, you're beautiful. It's it's like, that's your fucking niece. You probably that's held her the as a fucking baby. creepiest shit. But and he, he just goes, I think he said, like, you'd make your mother proud. I can't remember, but he says something. What can you do? What will you do? But then he has this line, and, and it's kind of the Frank thing. He's like, some things just have to be endured. And that line, like, fucking cut me to the soul today. Right. Um, It's just such a fucking horrifying sentiment, right? But that's just who this guy is, right? We just see him, like, even Julia when she's desperately trying to keep him. And they just, you know, finished a session. He just goes, it's never enough. And you just see Julia just, I will do any, anything. And he still leaves her, right? And at the end, he just throws her away. like tra- So the ending with Frank and Julia, right, where he stabs her, a part of me thinks he misses that on purpose and just guts her. And he just, you know, nothing personal. And he drains her. And the look of raw betrayal on Julia's face as Frank takes the very last bit of her humanity. I mean, Frank Frank is just the perfect movie villain. Yeah. But you know what's funny is because Frank doesn't follow the maxim that you always hear, right? The best villains uh, think they're the good guys. Frank absolutely knows he's the bad guy. See, and I think this is like a really important thing about that Maxim too. And I, cause I agree. Like it is, here's the thing. That is something that makes a villain very interesting. Like yeah. you can make a villain much more compelling. If that, if the, that, that character thinks they are always right. Yeah. Or thinks what they're doing is the right thing to do. I think what makes Frank particularly compelling, and especially in the context of Hellraiser is his pursuit is not just like eternal life, but eternal discovery. Like that's what he's trying to do. He's going beyond the boundaries of our world. Like that is really what makes, that's what makes great villains. It's not like, Oh, they think they're right. That, that like, you know, it's not that, Oh, Lex Luthor thinks he's doing the right thing. Lex Luthor knows he's not doing the right thing. Like all the fucking time. Right. What I like about Frank is that it's it's a selfish pursuit. That's what makes a great villain. A selfish pursuit right. that destroys the world or whatever world they've constructed for themselves. That's what's making a that's what makes a thrilling villain. Well, I think Frank's also again ultra relatable. It's weird that I find so much in Hellraiser ultra relatable. It's really we not. all we I know all you know well. the we all know these people. <laughs> How dare you? I'm a puzzle box that can't be twisted. Um true. Agree to disagree. This double feature alone, untwisted succinctly. How dare you? I'm like an unclamped nipple. I can't be tamed. There's quite uh, literally <laughs> nothing about the fact. Like I, I texted you. I was like, quite the, quite the, quite the duo of films. These are absolutely your movies. They are. They're my two movies. If I had only two, these are them for real. Absolutely. Um, you know, Evil Dead, Tex Chainsaw, like there's a lot of others close, but these are like above. No, these the are others. the two that create uh, create a Griffey. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, but yeah, man, I I think we all knows people in our lives that are just so. Fu- and again, I think you don't have to look very far to just find insanely selfish people that just have no fucking you really worry don't. about the consequences of what they're doing. And so you look at Frank and you can feel, we feel like Julia, right? We sympathize with her because we're like, please stop going down this path. We are like, we've all done it with someone before. Just a selfish taker, right? Because they are here for themselves. And I think it's one of those things, I think so few of us can understand what it's like to fully live detached from any form of morality, right? Like, I, I am not religious. I don't believe in any religious dogmas, whatever. I still have a code of ethics that I follow. Yeah, I don't absolutely. run down the street just chopping heads off and shit and running people over because I'm no. in a hurry. Absolutely. I still believe that there's a way to behave. And Frank is one of those rare people that it just instantly, it's like chewing on aluminum foil, right? It's just instantly going to get right at our nerves because you're just like, God damn, it's insane to just imagine someone like that. Right. But they're out there and we all fucking know them. All right. I think we'll save Kirsty. Uh, let's just do Kirsty real quick. I think Kirsty is one of the least interesting 
final girls in kind of horror movie history, she gets a better opportunity in part two to kind of do some work. Sure. Um, Kirsty feels very much like a function of the time. Yeah. Um, and just kind of needing that character in the movie. It's I think another... Ashley Lawrence is really good in the movie. I like what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as this person who just doesn't trust Julia, knows something's up, is worried for her fucking douchey dad. She does fine. She just doesn't get a lot to sink her teeth in except for running scared from monsters. Right. Um, what did you make of Kirsty in the film? Kirsty to me is a great character for an eighties movie. And that is pretty much all there is to it. Like, I, it's not that I think that, yeah, Ashley Lawrence does a great job. It's like, she's in a very, this is the thing. She has to do a lot of complex, there's a lot of complex things that happen to Christy in this movie, or Kirstie in this movie. Like, when, again, the imagery of, like, the flower opening and all these other things where I'm just like, again, we're making a different kind of movie here than I think what people would have come in to expect. Mm-hmm. So, when that kind of stuff is happening, you're starting to recontextualize the character. Like, oh, maybe she does have like a stake in this. I think the thing is, is past Larry, Kirstie's stake in the movie is pretty low. Like, well, no, I mean, it's at like the start of like, the movie. Yeah, she's like, like oh, I'm dressed your dad. like Elvis Costello. I'm gonna kiss this guy in a subway. Right. It's like protect your dad. Try not to get fucked by your goopy uncle. Like those are the main key yeah. points in Kirstie's journey in the film. And it's not a bad thing. Well, I I think it's just the function of the writing, but I think part of the eighties when she is face to face with goopy Frank, right? When she is face to face with the centibits, right? Mm -hmm. Centibits, whatever. I don't know why I keep fucking cinnabites, cinnabites. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying right now. It's very late, but anyways, um, I also had a tetanus shot today at the doctor and I am fucked up. Whoa. Tetanus shot. Yeah, right? it's been 10 years, man. I was just like, I saw Hellraiser. I kind of want some metal in my flesh. You know what I That's mean? That's fair. That's fair. I appreciate Neither that. here nor there, but I'm a little loopy. Not from the tetanus, just from lack of sleep, uh, like right. a normal grown-up. But watching her face-to-face with that, right? And then Ashley Lawrence, I think, just explodes off the screen in that final bit at the house. Yeah. When she runs in and is confessing to her father what she's seen mm-hmm. and watching her have that slow realization of what's up. I think she's wonderful in that. She's one of those who's become a beloved horror icon in the community. I think because of those, she didn't get a lot of scenes, but when she got one, she fucking nailed it. Right. Um, So I didn't want to shortchange Kirsty or say less. I just don't think they gave her as much. There's not a lot to do. I mean, I I think a great, a great way to put it is she does a lot with a little, but she is for sure a function of the time, which is final girl ladies. So, now we got to talk about the main attraction, man. Uh, Pinhead and the gang, the puzzle our box. Are four friends that are just journeying the universe, just living their lives, you know? Doug Bradley as Pinhead in this movie is my favorite horror movie monster. That look, the setting, the voice... His fucking voice. I mean, it feels like the voice of a god coming through the TV. Yeah. I In a movie, like you said, it is very surreal and had the potential to not age well. I have never not bought into the reality of Pinhead. I think that's why it's one of my favorite. Like, there's a couple, right? When I watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I buy into the reality of Leatherface in that film. This is the same. Every time I watch that movie, I feel like I'm actually watching a demonic entity enter the screen. His his voice and his look were so fucking perfect. As the hell priest, as Penhead, right? Um, Just just fucking love this guy so much. Yeah. I mean, I think as I got older, and again, this is why this movie is much more entertaining now, is because as I got older... The concept of, and as I got older and further away from like what I perceived the movie to be and what I perceived mm. the Cenobites to be, they became less terrifying and much more. It was just like, that is probably as close as that is like, that is not far off from like, 
this is what people do in the dark web. Like they're like, <laughs> like this is absolutely hey, like we grew a, up in HBO real sex. So you're like, there's just accountants who are like, turn me into a bicycle and put cheese in saying, my butt man. hole. Like, like right. I, there's nothing about it that as I've gotten older, like, yes, it's very extreme, but there also is this level of like, you know, there's someone in this world who wants like needles shoved in their head. Like, I don't know what it like, was me with Dr. Shredder today. Woo! No, but I'm just, is, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like it feels that's what shouldn't be relatable. And yet there is a relatable element. Again, to the Most because, of us adults just want to feel anything that is not the crushing yeah. weight of routine. You're just, and it's one dark web search away. You know what? I, I really latch on to the older I get watching this is they they talk about so when they come in right there we're explore their explorers in the further realm mm-hmm. of experience demons to some angels to others whatever right i latch on to that so hard yeah me too at this stage of my life the it's what frank said it's never enough mm-hmm. if you live a life where you can't fucking understand that sentiment then good on you I feel like weirdly my wife is like that. Like she's one of those very contented, well-adjusted people. Yeah, Amy. Like my wife is not trying to get fucking chained up. Yeah, you know, in like the the meat room of this movie. Right. But I think there's a lot of us that you watch this and you're like, I don't know, man. I might risk it just to fucking know that there's something else past this, right? I like that, you know, because then this is when she does the deal, right? Where you know, I know where Frank is. No tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Yeah. But that line, I'm telling this is the line that, like, forever, I'm like, I'll always love horror movies. I'll always love being afraid. The first time you hear and the camera, like, swoops in on him, we'll tear your soul apart. I was just like, holy fucking shit, man. Like, Jason's just out here chopping up co-eds and shit, right? Right. Michael yeah. Myers is just mad his sister had 22 seconds of sex. Yeah. You know, Freddy Krueger is like in your nightmare. Like they're like, we will rip your fucking soul apart. Yeah. And for some reason, when I was little, that sounds so much scarier and more threatening. It is scary. You know why? Because what is that even? I mean, the the soul is an entity. A soul is an unknown entity. Like we have no idea what it is. It's a metaphysical thing for someone to threaten to rip something we don't even understand apart. It could be nearly infinite. Bass, utter utter terror i don't yeah. disagree with you at all however at 35 watching this i gotta say oh no i do feel a little bad for the cenobites like what these folks are they're just essentially tra- sexual uber drivers is that what you're saying? these folks are just traversing the multiverse trying or whatever dimension you want to call yeah. it trying to find the next cool thing and they're so bored that's the thing that sucks. You think Penhead's at like intergalactic top golf? Then all of a sudden he's like, ah, oh, God. Yeah, Some, I think another Pinhead sweaty is, guy just opened I think up Pinhead, the cube. I think it's exactly what's happening. Like it's like that episode of South Park where people keep saying Biggie Smalls in the mirror five times, and they're just like, <laughs> God damn it! Like Butterball is about to finally sink a hole in one, and they get summoned, and he's just like, I, now see, part now? two disagrees with me, but I I actually <laughs> think it's very inspirational that they still find pleasure and enjoyment in their craft i think that's really nice man i I, i'm not saying it's not it's not a bad thing i just think for me i'm just uh, like it has to suck to be like god the same palette again just like oh yeah you fucked so much you can't fuck anymore fucking's not good enough for you that's my question actually and i don't know because i gave you coffee and sex and back cracks like i've never watched the other i've never watched the other nine hellraisers because quite you are in for quite a journey my friend but do they ever are there puzzle boxes in other dimensions it's not as much like they exist in other in one of them the puzzle box is an entire space station okay that's like some jason x shit that's fine it yeah pretty much exactly but my question is like do you think this this is just like overall do you think they're only getting summoned to our plane of existence or are they going elsewhere too? I, they, I mean, that's their, the thing. their is plane this of an existence inter- definitely exists, right? They take us from here to there. Some of right, them, right. they begin to bleed together. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if there's two separate dimensions, there could be a plethora. Well, they're saying they're traversing the dimensions. Like it's like an interdimensional road trip with friends just trying to get their rocks off. 
So my question to you is, are they constantly like, maybe this is why they say like, I'm going to tear your soul apart because what if we're the only dimension they're getting summoned to? Like, let's say they're finally Mm. like the ends of the universe or something like that. They're on the other end, other end of the spec, other end of the interdimensional travel and they get brought back to shitty old our plane of existence Maybe that's what it is. Like maybe them being summoned yeah. here actually just pisses them off, and that's why they want to tear our souls apart. They're like every the Ghostbusters. The siren rings, they jump in the the box and ride, man. No, but <laughs> as you learn, the Cinnab- <laughs> the Cenobites were all humans at one point. Right, right. So, so these, they've already been here. Pleasure, like eventually Frank could become a Cenobite. Right. This is kind of the. Right. I assume they, they like a, a corporate culture where they promote from within. Right? Sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, like these are the four that have risen to the top. That's what I'm saying, though. Like the frustration of those poor Cenobites getting constantly brought back to a place they've already fucking been. Like, that's why Pinhead is like, I will tear your soul apart. If you unlock that fucking box again, I swear to God, I am coming back here and ripping that soul out. Like there's. Well, I think they've done enough hooking each other. Like, what What do they exactly. do? Just him and Butterball are like... They're tired me, of bar-sinistering each other. They want to find... Like, How dare you? Elsewhere. Pinhead is never tired of bar-sinistering himself. Not for <laughs> even a second. That guy is I'm, a consummate... Pr- he's the Dwight Schrute of this universe. <laughs> he is fucking happy to be there and works hard to be a company right. man. And Frank is just Michael Scotting it up, ruining, ruining the day. No, Frank's a gym coming in, thinking he knows everything, staring at the camera. And then Pinhead's yeah. like, oh, nice smirk. I'm going to rip your fucking face in half, and you can right. smirk for all eternity. Okay. Can I just say, like, so? I'm sorry, I'm going to go right to the very beginning again. But yeah. when they, uh, when he's, like, pushing the pieces together of Frank's face, shout oh, out to whoever that. did the, the fucking, the right eye. Holy shit. Like, just the utter look of terror is so awesome. You know what's funny? I wrote that exact shot into a comic book years ago. And I had totally forgotten about it until watching it today. I was like, oh, fuck. I just ripped that off from Hellraiser. And I was like, hey, steal from the best, as they say. Steal from the best, man. That is a worthy rip. Like like everything else I write, it'll never be seen by the public. So. But so it's not a theft; it's a victimless. But crime. like that little, those little things—that's what mean, makes the movie scary. Like that kind of shit is what makes it my scary. Brain. But again, Absolutely. imagine that our bodies are a finite resource, but mm-hmm. everyone out there wants to. I, I read a thing in, in light of some of the news um, of the day, where this lady posted. She's like, "It's wild being a straight woman because you're forced to constantly date your only natural predator." And I was like, Jesus, that's fucking heavy. But in a way, it got me thinking about this movie where it's there's always someone out there that wants to take from us. Take, 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 take. Right, right. And we're never enough, right? They'll use you up and throw you out. So I think the parallel between what the, the Cenobites are and then what we are is not that fucking much, right? Like they have a little, they can pizzazz it up. They're probably a little more creative about how they do it but the way that we just sure. fucking take like even frank right so uh or not frank larry larry there's a scene when yeah frank's upstairs he's starting to fuck around he's getting restless so julia tries to like throw the the hots on him right Ooh, ew, kiss me don't go upstairs he's like let's go upstairs i'm a man right. I, I look at storm shit Right. I'm a man and who's never seen a horror movie, so I follow the sounds, right? I'm no, a man go, who pulls yeah. his penis through his underwear to have sex. Yeah. Like, yeah, go fuck your wife through the sheet or whatever you do, <laughs> you fucking square. Um, and they go you upstairs and get nerd. in the bed, right? And and this is a moment I, I'm going to ask you about in a sec. But so they start getting into it, right? Larry, of course, is just not interested in foreplay. It seems he's not even going to take his fucking sweater off. Yeah. Well, Frank emerges from the closet, right? He's got a mm. rat. And he cuts the rat in half, you know, hinting it. That's what he's going to do to Larry. And she's just right, like, Jesus, right. stop. I can't take it anymore. Um, And Larry gets really mad at her. He's like, I don't fucking understand you. So either. So in Larry's mind, he thinks that she's really afraid of the storm. Right. She goes upstairs and is like, maybe we can be pleasurable. When fear overtakes her again, he runs out to go to his masturbatorium, I assume. Again, not taking off his sweater and T-neck. And he 
he has so little compassion for her in that moment, right? Even Larry in that moment is like, this woman is overcome with fear or something. I'm mad that I had to go jerk myself off in a sweater and TV. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, he shows no compassion for her yeah. in the same fucking way we saw Frank. Every single person feels like they're taking, right? Something yeah. is, I mean, well, at least in this, you know, most hideous of love triangles. Well, I don't think Kirsty's doing that, but I, I I think that is the 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 parallel nature of just how everything in this world wants to consume us. It is just fucking terrifying me. I was gonna ask you about that though. Do you think Julia? Why why do you think she tried to save Larry, or do you think she was really trying to save Larry? I don't know. I wondered that myself because. There is this air of selfishness. I, you, I mean, to be honest, even Kirsty, like she selfishly takes it out on Julia that she lost her mom, that kind of shit. Like it's not. Oh damn! Shots like, fired. It's not okay. Like she's fucking no. shitty. Like, but like justified. Like she's literally the only one who has a reason right. to be kind of like tacky to somebody new. Well, bes- beside this movie, the big critique of Julia is that she's Mrs. Prim and proper. And I'm like, well, that's not as cool to be mean to as hammer murderer. Right, yeah. So, I mean, but <laughs> to me, I think it, okay, this is how this is how I'd put it. I think what it is is Julia fears, mm-hmm. not Frank, but Julia fears giving herself over to that level of pleasure, so to speak. Like, there's a, mm-hmm. like, this like unholy union essentially is what brings Frank back. Like it's bloodlust that brings him back into this world. So the fact that she's that deep into it, I think that's what scares her more than anything is that she's willing to go to that place. That I think is the truly scary thing about the movie in general. And like humans, like not the Cenobites showing up to say, I'm going to eat your soul because you called me back to this shit dimension. What it is is why is it always an unlit attic? <laughs> why are we always in attics? This place <laughs> sucks. Don't you like, guys decorate with IKEA bright colors for your sex dungeons? What the fuck? <laughs> you could get some pastels and some stuffies the in the only, corner. It's the only line they cut from the movie was the chattering track lighting. <laughs> yeah, <but> so-, <laughs> so harsh on my dong. <laughs> but- get some Chinese lanterns to soften the glow <laughs> in your sex dungeon. But, like, that I think is what is – that is the most terrifying aspect of the movie is, like, what are you willing to do to achieve your bliss, quote, unquote? Like, that I think is the scarier part of it. So that to me is what Julie is doing. I vibe with that, right? Because in that moment, I think it's her last chance to see if she's going to go all the way. No pun intended. (laughs) And I think in that moment, she she realizes she has no – she, has, she doesn't have enough of a bond to Larry to truly save him, right? She saves totally. him for the moment, but I think in that instance, she knows, like, er, what is left of her is gone. Right. And she's going to see this through with Frank. And um, low-key underrated horrifying element in the movie is Frank wearing Larry's fucking face. Um, I was trying By to watch way, it today not a and low think key back to the first time. Horrifying. <laughs> Just straight up horrifying. Just yeah, I was trying to horrifying, <laughs> but I was trying to imagine back. Right, the first time I saw that, did I know immediately it was Frank? How long did it take? I think it took me like a couple seconds. And when you I had mean, that realization, it's like, oh fuck! I don't remember when. I don't remember the first time I watched it necessarily to justify like when I was cognizant of what was happening. I remember the re- reveal scared the fuck out of me, but the I don't know if I was that ahead of it. The reveal is fucked up. When he goes, come to daddy. Yeah. Like, that, like that's no the one should shit. say that ever. No, never. It's like also, the least sexy thing. Also don't ever like say I'm it's uncle Frank when you're trying to fuck somebody. That's weird. Um, it's uncle Frank and my dick. I'm back. I mean like to me, yeah, I, I don't remember. I really do not remember the first time I watched it or even was cognizant of like, oh, that's definitely not him. But like that is the come to daddy. Ugh. Ugh. 
You can almost smell the too much cologne Frank must wear when he says yeah. stuff like that. You, there's a, you can just smell like the dumped on Hugo Boss cologne <laughs> that's just like coating his neck. Ah, oh, that sweat, silk, and too much cologne. It just drives the ladies <laughs> mad. You know, we all know that guy. He just walks in. He's like, yeah, I'm just here to fuck whatever. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, we, we can smell. We know. Yeah, yeah, we can smell your Axe body spray, bud. We know. We get Those it. Those aren't yeah. pheromones, my friend. That's Calvin Klein water in a fucking little glass jar. We know. It's called cologne. Did you, cologne. When you were in middle school, did, did, was it? Um, yes, our, every our, Christmas I got a bottle of cologne, and it was yeah. Tommy Boy. Yeah, so was mine. Yeah, that was like the big. That was like a Cole's delight. Was like a a medium price bottle. I remember being in middle school. Like, why do I need this? And mom was like, "It makes you smell good." So like, it took me a while, and like before I realized like you don't need like ten to fifteen sprays. Yeah, I used to wear a lot of sweaters, so like they were just soaked in Tommy Boy. I usually like (laughs) Tommy Hilfiger. Like it was the T-shirt. That was a big deal. Like a lot None of people like that T-shirt. I was too in my cool school. for that. None of that. I just never had. Like it was also like a thirty dollar T-shirt. I could never justify to my parents buying a thirty dollar T-shirt. Yeah. And then uh, my mom the just other... bought us clothes and handed them to us until I was old enough to go to concerts. And then the other one was uh, yeah, the bottle like the Tommy Boy cologne was like every single sixth yeah. grader smelled like that. Every boy, so every gross. Indiana boy smelled like Tommy Boy. Ohio too. But yeah, yeah, man, um just watching all of this, right? And then this this horrifying chase. The, the thing when the corpse pops out and just pours maggots and it's like a close up of Kirsty's boobs. I was like Again, it's just it's such a fucking you feel like you can smell and taste this movie, right? It's so fucking it's a very visceral. visceral experience watching this. And film. then of of course like the iconic fucking moment, right? Is when uh the Cenobites come out and they got fucking Frank, right? And because uh, Frank does the line like he was dead long before we touched him right about her dad. I'm like, this guy just mega douche like committed. Yeah. And again, I'm telling you when the lights come up and Frank's eyes go big, because I think it's a, an, another underrated element is that the Cenobites just appear wherever you are. You can't lock the door. There's nothing yeah, right, holding right. them yeah. out. Right. They're they always... exist right in top of you, almost as if they come from within you. Um. And he comes for her, right? And the hooks start getting up. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, Leatherface, or not Leatherface, fucking Pinhead does the, this isn't for your eyes. Which is a really cool scene because not more than three minutes later, they're trying to specifically kill her. Yeah. So he just thinks he's like, this is too cool. You can't see. See? You I'm didn't pay sure your that... membership. I know we're supposed to think... And all evidence points to it that they're trying to kill her, but I think they're just trying to get her to do what she does so that they can go to the other side of the other side of the dimension. <laughs> no, they're definitely they're like, we need more meat for the pile. But when Frank is all again, I, I think back, I think I saw this for the first time when I was like eight or nine years old. Okay. And so seeing that face pulled out. And Frank's Jesus like, Christ, man. he's licking his lips and smiling. Jesus wept. And he just like turns into a pile of meat and hook. And yeah. isn't again, that just I, like I, the I most metal this... thing to say right before yeah. you get blown Fuck apart? Yeah. By... Frank is still fucking laughing in the face because he's a nihilist. He cares about nothing except for Frank. So I guess he's not a nihilist because he cares about Frank at his core. But. It's just one of those things when you see that as a kid, you're like, that is just indescribably cool and scary. Yeah. Unsafe. It makes me want more, right? This movie turned me into a little Frank where you're like, I need to find more. More of this dark hidden magic. Um, That that scene is just the fucking coolest, man. <laughs> and I There's not really anything like very clever I could say. I'm just like, yeah, that's just fucking rad. There like, is nothing. It just melts I my mean... face. It's awesome. <sighs> Like, there's just shit in this movie that's so metal. Like, and I think this is what we always, like, when we're talking about movies, like, we always do shows. Like, our stated purpose on the pod is to do shows that we think are fucking rad. Do talking about movies we think are awesome. Never do we, like, find a movie like, okay, let's just shit this thing out. Like, talk about how terrible it is. Like, but particularly with Hellraiser, like, I think what's fun about talking about this movie particularly, not just because it is one of your all-time favorites, but because... It's so ingrained in how great you think movies are and movies can be. Mm-hmm. 
that I like that we're just like, like we have spent an hour just talking about like these little beats, like some of the little things that happen in this movie and the things that maybe are just a little different about it and set it apart. We don't even have to go into like some of the bigger set pieces, some of the crazier shit, like getting like Kirsty getting chased by the engineer or any of that shit, which is also cool. But like none of that matters because we both know it's awesome. And yeah. is that you, what the dick scorpions called? The engineer? The engineer, yeah, that's what the yeah, that's what it's called. That's his fucking job? He's like an international or intergalactic fucking mechanic. I thought that was just like he's a dick scorpion. Like, yeah, he's. I thought he was a guard dog. No, he's interdimensional AAA. That's how they're described. Wow. I'm making that up. I have I have no idea. I just know it's called the engineer. <laughs> I'm just saying uh, they say dress for the job you want. That seems wrong. I'm just saying that because he's called the engineer and because it fits with my interdimensional yeah. road trip theory. I'm yeah. gonna say he's the he's triple A. My weird one I know is that I think the the vagrant is called Indromite. He is the puzzle box guardian. I don't remember where I gleaned that. But um but see, even something like that, right? Like that guy coming into the pet store, right? As Kirstie's getting fucking besieged by Karen and sounds and whatever. Right, right, right. She comes around the corner and just sees this homeless man who seemingly to survive has come in and just dips his hand in the fucking cricket box and is just eating bugs and staring her at her just what like why is this strange to you right get out of here you get on out of here <laughs> but even that moment i was like just imagine you're at work and you turn the corner and there's just a fucking guy eating a bug like there's just so many small in their lives visceral fucking moments right my kid was a bug eater last summer it's very creepy man um, but he's my own flesh and blood, so I'll tolerate it. But I just, I mean, this, this movie just is loaded with sound. We didn't even talk about just that fucking thumping score. Yeah. Just this epic, like you can imagine it's the fucking really darkest, intense. most evil church, right? Just fucking this, like the rafters shaking with the score. Right. Yeah. Wonderful, man. And yeah, I know the end when like you got like some, uh, lightning drawing going on. Somehow she's turned the puzzle box into a pea shooter and is getting rid of the Cenobites, whatever. I don't fucking care. At that oh, yeah, point, you, you got in the movie so sometime. much great it. shit. I don't give a fuck, right? Do I care that there's a bone dragon at the end? Yes, I do, because it's fucking awesome uh, <laughs> to watch that guy grab the thing and light on fire and become a fucking bone dragon. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to tell you guys. And then it starts over again where we began, right? What's your pleasure, sir? And we just know that there's an infinite supply of humans where it's never enough. That are going to ruin the Cenobites' top golf day. <laughs> Penhead's like, oh, I just got on this Rush pinball machine and I was at the high score. Damn it. Butterball's never first. He always waits God and finishes damn it. his Rush pinball. I will tear your soul apart. God damn it. Yeah, Rush, I will tear your soul apart. And they're like, not today. And Getty Lee and the band just start fucking riffing on him. <laughs> I think Rush could defeat the Cenobites. That's all I'm going to say. All right. I'll buy it. But I'd also like that to be a movie that existed for me to enjoy forever. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. I, I th This is the movie experience. I think I have like five or six of them, right? Like when I went to the theaters to see The Matrix. Um. There are just movie experiences the first time you see them that live up to or so exceed what you are hoping that you're not just turning on something to pass the hours away. You're fucking changed at a very genetic level. That's what Hellraiser is for me. Um, and I, I love it unabashedly. My second favorite movie of all time behind the movie that will cap off this double feature to end the pod greases Griff month. The pod kneels before Griff month because I'm the good guy of this story. I know that in my heart, so I'm going to keep going down this path. You're the, the pod for puts sure. hit hooks in Alex's nips month um, and makes him dance for my pleasure and leisure. <laughs> but anywho, wow. as, uh, a capper of the gift, we'll be discussing my all-time favorite movie, Highlander. So today, guys, we hope you're having fun with us. This is a day about gushing. We're just going to gush about movies that i love and hopefully you guys love so that's it 
for Highlander. Thank you very much. This is actually for Hellraiser. Or Hellraiser. What did I say? Fucking Hellraiser. One of the wobbly H double feature. Uh, (laughs) Thank you to our friend and patron, Jason, uh, for picking these movies, man. You're right. It was nice to actually do them. I was afraid. But that felt fucking fun, man. That was a blast, man. I loved watching that movie. It's it's the fucking best, man. How could you not? Uh, there is no demons to some. It's just all pleasure over here. The furthest pleasure. All pleasure. Pleasures. I had to fucking peel myself off the floor. Neither here nor there. So we'll be back in one moment with the second half of today's double feature. Highlander! There can be only two today for this double feature. Uh, so again, guys. If you have a double feature you'd like to hear, if you want to hear some exclusive episodes and have a vote in what those are, you want to hear some mini series, go on over to patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. We assure you every little bit of support means the world to us. So if you can, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you uh, for those of you who already help us out so much. Subscribe to the YouTube Film Alchemist. The, po- uh, the email is uh, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We're on all the socials you're on. Leave those five-star rating interviews wherever the fuck you find the pod. Every fucking where you find the pod. Um, And that helps us out a lot. It does. That's it, man. I'm running out of mouth spit. This movie sucked all my juices out. All I am is just meat and hair at this point. So gross. Stop. That's the point. Some people are going to be like, ooh. And that's the thesis of Hellraiser. Bye!